The Pinball Network is online. Launching the Plum. I have opened up my pinball machines for the first time since I can remember. Granted, I'm not doing very much. I'm mostly just spending my time that would have been spent in Texas or Milwaukee, hanging with my friends and drinking beers and playing pinball. I'm spending that time in my apartment doing a lot of yoga and staring at my pinball machines and maybe playing them and cleaning them and (laughs) not a lot else. I've been eating a lot of macaroni and cheese, folks. And I've been introduced to the wonderful world of Animal Crossing, which I can't get enough of because it seems to be a super pleasant way to spend a lot of time doing not much of anything, (laughs) except for fishing on an imaginary beach and paying off a cartoon raccoon with clams and sand and clumps of weeds. (laughs) But I digress. I have gotten the opportunity to hang out with a couple of really cool people via Zoom who I would never really hang out with. Not because I don't think they're cool, it's just a matter of timing. One of those people is Ed Owens, who I got to sit down and do an interview with, and we talk a little bit about homebrew and some other stuff. So that's coming up. Wonderful Radio London. Whoopee! One, two, three! Hey guys, how's it going? This is episode four of The Plum. Welcome. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I hope you're finding ways to keep yourself busy or not. Whatever suits you, whatever makes you feel good. And if you have pinball at home, I hope you're getting lots of opportunities to play it or maintain it, take care of it, do what you need to do. Um, I've heard a lot of people are actually renting pinball machines from operators who don't have any business right now, which is really cool to hear. And maybe it's just me, but I feel like there's also been an uptick in people who are streaming now. A lot of them for the very first time, which is really cool to see. So these people have been going out and, well, not going out, but probably ordering stuff from Amazon and and taking the reins and learning how to do some streaming on their own. I don't know if it's because it's out of boredom or if it's maybe something they've always wanted to do and now they have the chance because they've got all this time on their hands. Either way, it's really cool to see. And um, if you're not a person that streams, there's lots of people to follow and you should follow them. Um, My personal favorite has been Carl D'Angelo and uh, about a week ago he was playing Big Buck Hunter and trying to get to the wizard mode, I guess. Um, it was quite a quite a feat to watch and really, really entertaining. I had no idea Carl was so animated and hilarious. Uh, it was really fun to see. As far as I know, he's still streaming. He might have a new challenge right now, but uh, you should check that out. That's IE Pinball. There's Dr. John and Emily. There's Netherworld is streaming. Is What the Flip. There's TurboGrafx-7. There's One Pod, One Pinball. There's don't panic flip. Forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody, but there's lots of there's lots of streaming and you should watch it and it's great. I think that a buddy of mine and I might be streaming some pinball arcade at some point, hopefully. I've never commented on virtual pinball, so that should be interesting. Keep your eyes and ears out for that, I suppose. And if you're looking for some alternatives to pinball, there is Enter Your Ingredients, which is a friend of the show, Jess Kent. She started this stream where she's basically cooking in her kitchen, and all of her recipes are named after like pinball callouts or pinball specific things. It's really fun and it's really cool to see her journey and, and what she's been making and coming up with. And she has a dog, so the dog might show up. That would be awesome. And then there's my personal favorite. Every Friday night, I have been listening to 
my buddies in Chicago who are DJs and they've been live streaming their Friday night DJ set. Um, they're called Fuzzbox Chicago. Um, I think it's Fuzzbox Chicago or Fuzzbox Chicago DJ. I'm sure if you do a Google search, they'll come up. They're, they're on Twitch and um, they're awesome. Lots of funk and soul and R&B and pop and dance and some mashups. And anyways, nothing to do with pinball. So I'm going to move on. On today's episode, I have an interview, which I was super excited about in the first place. I was supposed to conduct this interview at MGC in Milwaukee on the weekend of the the 5th or the 4th. I had spoken at Ed Owens before, and we decided we were going to meet up at MGC at some point and try and get this interview done. And of course, that fell through because MGC was canceled along with Texas Pinball Festival. But uh, we decided that we were going to do the interview anyways uh, over Zoom. And this was the day after a, a Zoom party that was a quote unquote MGC after party. So it was essentially just a group of pinball people who decided to hang out over Zoom and have a lot of drinks and pretend like we were at MGC, I guess. I don't know. It was cool. We had done almost the exact same thing the weekend previously where we had had a Zoom party for TPF to watch the Twippies, which was a lot of great fun. And there were a lot of people in the Zoom room who I would have never put together, I suppose. Like we're all pinball people and we all hang out and we all like pinball and it's great, but I would have never guessed that this particular group of people would have partied together at any point. Um, it was pretty cool. I don't have to name names, but it was definitely an interesting night, as was the MGC after party. So uh, without further ado, oh, I want to say one more thing. We recorded this over Zoom and this is the first time I have done an interview remotely. So uh, it was kind of a learning experience. I had no control over the volume of my voice, so there's a little bit of peaking. So I apologize for that, uh, if you bear with me. Every day I'm learning something new about audio and editing, and every day gets better and better. So anyways, without further ado, here it is, Ed Owens. Yeah, so just, you know, coming in on chat, that's why I was like, how, how are you feeling? <laughs> are you hungover? Because I am a little bit hungover. I was definitely hung over this morning. A little bit. Not not bad, but uh, yeah, I uh, had to do some coffee and water and before I started back on beer. <laughs> <laughs> a little hair of the dog would bit you, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, kind of said it before that going out to the garage and just working on, on, on my project, just, you can't, it cleanses your brain because you can't think of anything else if you're hangover, headache, or anything. I'm just focusing on one thing very intently. Don't think about all this crap going on out there. Just um, keep. keep, It's kind of nice just to not think about work, not think about anything, and just work on something. Yeah, I wish I. I wish I had a project like that. I've got a couple pinball machines that need some work. Um, I just don't have the the tools, or I mean, the parts. I guess I could get the parts if I really needed them. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. There's a couple of good part suppliers out there. You aware of them? I just I've just been lazy about it, but I, I think that taking on a project might be might be really good for all of this that's that's happening. So so you're talking about the um, the Mini Cooper, right? Yes, uh, it's uh, I've had the car for probably about four years now, and uh, I haven't done anything really to it until this year. Well, um, I titled it, and it's been drying, which is an important part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, what does that mean? You titled it, and it's been drying. Well, uh, it was. It uh, came from a friend's behind his shed. 
and where it was sitting there for 30 years and it was a uh, oh, his kids played in it and then now they're grown up and, and gone and then there's um uh, squirrels that made a family out you know a, a home out of it it was full of acorns and dirt and nest and it was just it was been rained on windows open or whatever for years uh, so when i first got it home i vacuumed out as much as i could and then i just sat there and it was still wet underneath the layers and layers of stuff so just like let it fully dry so don't not deal with wet is kind of <laughs> Uh, a nice thing, and then you know, have a go and vacuum it out again. Get the next layer of crud out, and let it uh, let it sit and dry some more. I think I remember when I met you at MGC last year, and that was at the there was like a oh gosh, it was like a meet and greet at one of the restaurants during MGC, and it happened to be on my break because I was working the booth that day. And JJ Babich uh, did like he hosted this thing where we were all there. It was oh, it was Pinside people, right? Yeah, so yeah, JJ's uh, Pinside meet and greet where he had all the badges printed for everybody. And that's right. Yeah, he does that at shows a lot. But that was the first time I had ever met you. I know that I had heard of you through like listening to like homebrew stuff or like seeing it online and stuff like that. Um, and I remember we somehow started talking about cars, and you like brought out your cell phone, and you were like oh my gosh, look at this, look at this thing that I'm working on. And I remember you saying exactly that, that it had gotten like wet and you were trying, like a year ago, you were trying to dry it out. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you're, uh, you love cars and yeah, I, I have all my projects, which I wasn't working on at the time. And I'm always happy to show pictures of what I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, you, you have a lot of stuff, man. Like I see, um, I see the, the jukeboxes that you work on are really cool. Like you'll do every once in a while, you'll do like pictures or like a stream and stuff with your, the ju- how many jukeboxes have you worked on? I'd say at least, well, over a dozen. I mean, one really? that I, I fixed up really well and not just fixed for people. I probably say more like seven, maybe eight. Okay. That's cool. And you have like two in your house or something. Is that wrong? I feel like you have two or a couple. Um, I got a permanent one uh, upstairs and then I got, uh, I just got my second one for, you know, permanent that's going to stay in the house. So I, yeah, I have two that are mine, mine and the rest are either fixing for somebody uh, or um, going to restore to sell. Those both are, uh, they both play 45s. Yes. The seven inch forty fives and the one upstairs uh, plays uh, uh, the seven inch thirty threes. I think they're called EPs or extended plays. How many forty fives do you have? Not as much as Mike Vinicor, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh gosh, he. I think I think that he's been on uh, like a rampage of. It's just like he must make at least twelve posts a day of just his records. It's just like every day. Let's keep it he, busy. He posted that he was um, reorganizing all of his 45s. So I had to ask him some questions. I pro- I have you know those standard 45 boxes. They're about just under two feet long. I have about maybe four or five of those. Plus, what's I mean, I don't keep every single record I run across. Uh, I try to listen to it if I can. Like I got a but a little box of records at a rummage sale for five bucks. I'll listen to every at least the A side of every record uh, once and. It's either uh, go into a jukebox or keep or get rid of. <laughs> I think I have one box and most of them are Christmas records because I did like this really funny little Christmas set at my friend's house at his Christmas party. 
and I had just found a whole bunch of Christmas records at the, it was actually Logan, Logan Arcade when Logan, Logan Hardware, which was also the record store. And so they just had all of these records. I'm like, I'm going to buy up as many Christmas records that I know that I can play. And so most of my 45s are Christmas records, which is kind of strange, but I have a couple of like singles and stuff that I'll pop in every once in a while. When you uh, gravitate towards those Christmas records, what are you uh, mostly getting? Are you getting like a, a lot of the classics like Bing Crosby, White Christmas, or are you going for kind of like the, the oddball stuff like uh, Dogs Jingle Bells? I So it is a lot of oddball stuff. It's kind of a combination of oddball stuff and then just like the classic stuff that I really like. Like there's there's an Eagles Christmas song. And I can't remember what it's called right now. I can't remember for the life of me, but I, I do love it. it I think it's just because it reminds me of my like Christmases of my childhood because it's like the 80s and the Eagles had some kind of a Christmas hit. I'll have to look that up and find it. But I've got that one. Um, I've got Donde Esta Santa Claus. Uh, Augie Rios, I think is his name. It's like a Spanish pop artist that did this song about like about Santa Claus. Yeah, and like Dominic the Christmas Donkey and, and shit like that. Um, and then a few of the like the classics like White Christmas and um, I think I have like Elvis's Blue Christmas. It's a good one. Always there's always tons of Elvis forty fives. Every single collection I, I see. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I, like I Elvis is fine. I think there's a couple of songs I really like by him that I would get forty fives of, but all of the typical stuff is kinda like Whoa. Yeah, yeah, there's there's um there's a few actually, I forgot what it was, but I was listening to loading up my uh, jukebox and listening to the 45s that came out of another jukebox I, I'm restoring for someone. I bought to, it's already sold, but it needs to be fixed up. And uh, I was just listening to the records and a lot of good stuff from 60s, 70s, and 80s. And a lot of Elvis. There's this one, the A side was something that everybody knows, but the B side had this really cool rockabilly vibe to it. So it's kind of... Almost felt like an AA record. I love it when you find a, a good B side and you're just like, well, I didn't even know the song existed. Like I've never, I've never heard this before anywhere else. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, B sides can be pretty underrated. So, and when you got a jukebox that plays 45s, and it's like the jukebox, like the one I'm working down here, is a is a G80. That means you have 80 selections, 40 records. So, really, when you think that you only got A sides of records, you have uh, 40 good songs in a jukebox like that, and let's hope that you can find some good B-sides so you can have maybe 50 or 60 actual songs that you're going to play. So what's the process like for you when you start to like work on a jukebox? Like, like how do you troubleshoot something like this? I, is it pretty similar to working on a pinball machine? Are there a lot of mechanics that are, I would say, mostly s simple? Uh, the difference between a jukebox and a pinball is... I actually prefer working on pinball machines because jukeboxes are, they can be more difficult to troubleshoot. Um, there are electromechanical or completely mechanical jukeboxes. There are electronic ones. Electronic ones are even harder to troubleshoot, just like, you know, uh, a valley with a bad MPU from the 80s. But, uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you just can't get, there's not as much parts available. So I always say a pinball is a collection of, it's mechanical, single mechanical, like almost independent mechanical pieces. And when something doesn't work, your pop bumper breaks, uh, the spoon switch bends or whatever, that pop bumper doesn't work. You can still play the pinball. Um, sure. If, if your score motor, like, okay, well, you, even with an EM, you're not, it's not starting right. So it's like, oh, 
you can just flip it open and be like, well, it's the, the, the tilt relay, the start relay, or the reset relay. Okay, let's start cleaning and check the score motor. Uh, but with um, a jukebox, it's more of a Rube Goldberg style of machine where everything that has to work has to work in a certain order uh, or you get nothing. So you got, yeah, it, it's each, each unit is technically simpler than a pinball, but because the troubleshooting process is um, make the selection, store the selection, uh, read the selection, pick up the record, play the record, put the record back. You know, each, each of those things have independent mechanisms. And if it's, you put your numbers in, it goes to chunk and nothing happens or it's been three times. Uh, this troubleshooting can be a little bit more uh, harder, but um, mm -hmm. there are books out there. There's uh, even in the manual, there's a step-by-step -step troubleshooting steps. So I try to gravitate towards machines that I know how to work on and I can actually divide out the individual components a little easier. Like the, um, the AMI F and G jukeboxes, both if the selection's not working, I can just reach in there and manually hit the pin and then I can test everything but the selection. Or, uh, yeah, you can actually, like a pinball, uh, jostle the switches around and get it to do everything you need to and see very visual what's happening. So that one's a really easy jukebox to work on, where any Seberg, especially from like the 50s and 60s, which everybody wants, those are a lot harder. And I fixed one for somebody, and somebody wants me to fix another one right now. And uh, it's going to kick did, my butt for a while. <laughs> did, didn't uh, didn't Seaberg make pinball machines too? They made the uh, Rayolite games. Uh, okay. Shoot the bear, Rayogun. Okay, that's right. Yep. yep. I remember seeing that at California Extreme, and I remember seeing Seaberg and thinking, that sounds really familiar. I know I've seen that name somewhere else. They, um, it was, that was out of Chicago, wasn't it? Yeah, I think they were um, either Chicago or Indiana. It was just in that area. And um, I thought they bought out United, United Bowling, so all the shuffle bowling and stuff, because all those companies got bought out by each other or kind of merged up. But there wasn't a while in the early 80s that Seberg and Stern were together somehow. I, I don't know the exact relationship there. There was a game um, huh. that I had, a, a, a video game, that uh, had it was a stern video game that has Seberg on the marquee. Must have been like sound related, right? I, I almost think that Stern Electronics maybe bought Seberg. I I, I have to look it up, but I know there was this huge. I thought Seberg bought United and Chicago Coin was in there somewhere. You know, like the three companies just came together pretty quickly within like five six years. We need to get like a, a tree of just all of the different companies that have merged and bought each other. And like, I would love to see a, a really extensive just timeline and tree of, of how, like who bought who and when and what they turned into and whether or not someone absorbed another person. Cause it gets like, I guess it's not really that important to remember, but it's still really fascinating. Like it's, it's always been really interesting to me that Sega and Stern were, like the same company, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to do that, but also draw some lines in there with, um, you know, like major parties, like uh, controller CEOs switching companies. Who is that that did that interview with Joe Camacow recently? That was it was really good. I think it was on the Super Awesome Pinball Show, and okay. uh, he was talking about how him and Gary Stern they had to they had to leave, 
and then he went and pretty much started his Kapow business separate, and now the things are working together. So they 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 had to both leave Stern at the time. One of them had to, but there was no bad blood. So I thought okay. it was pretty pretty cool. But you know the fact that he almost you know he it's not a direct offshoot, but he started his own company. But then they came back together for some projects. I thought that was that was really interesting. I'll have to listen to that that interview. I haven't heard it yet. I. I always like hearing those interviews with like industry guys. Did you get into doing jukebox stuff before or after pinball stuff? It's about the same time. Um, probably uh, I didn't get it probably a couple years after I got into pinball, but um, I always like industrial coin op, anything coin operated. I want to know how it works, take it apart and put it back together at least once. Then if I don't sure. like it, I can sell it and do something else. Right after I got married, I uh, ended up, Hi, I always have a New Year's Eve party. That was my thing with my friends and um, every, you know, invite everybody over. And when we got to the age where we can drink, we started drinking and uh, I got my own house. I'm like, great. We, you know, we, I got married, we bought a house pretty much. And I got a new job all within three months. Everyone came over and I uh, stopped at an operator over in the next town, bought some joysticks and some arcade buttons that were used out of uh, some arcade machines he had in back wired them up to a keyboard controller and made a kind of a MAME cabinet <laughs> with a computer monitor two garbage cans a board and a, a control panel <laughs> that was just a blast that party everybody was playing it you know in 1941 played all the way to the end and so then started playing Simpsons and I knew like hey that was that gave me a thought that that was something something happened there and People enjoyed that, and I enjoyed it. Enjoyed building it and learning about it. I went and found a hot tip that a guy, horrible acid damage on the boards, uh, or solid state one. That was my first pinball machine. Drove down to Mount Morris, Illinois, I think, and uh, met this guy. He would fix them up and restore them and, and sell them, and he just didn't want to. He said, I, I started working on this one. I don't want anything to do with it. 100 bucks, threw it in my car. Uh, me and my buddy uh, went down there. We threw it in there and uh, came back and took a while to figure out everything, get it all working, get the circuit boards up and going. So that was really where, all right, this is fun. I, I liked it. That was the first machine I actually fixed pinball-wise. A buddy of mine had a Captain Card pinball that he bought. We went and looked at it. He bought it, but we never got it working. So we just would go in there, clean, clean a switch. Now, <laughs> knowing what I know now, I could fix the thing in 15 minutes. But, you know, <laughs> two years not fixing it, 15 minutes, yeah. <laughs> so that so that's basically what led you to starting homebrew stuff. And in particular, is that Ghost in the Shell? Or have you done anything before Ghost in the Shell? Uh, before Ghost in the Shell, I ended up, I wanted to do, I was always after the cheap, cheap game, cheap deal. And, uh, you know, what I could afford at the time, I'm freshly married, bought a house payment, and I think uh, my wife was still in college. So I ended up on eBay. About an hour away, I found a big game. And I bought that thing. It had no back glass. The guy didn't have the keys for it, had no legs, had the glass on it. But that was it. You know, I, I didn't know what I was buying. I didn't even know if the circuit boards were in it anything. I bought it for uh, yeah, a pretty decent deal. But I, I knew... It's, at least with the networking at that time, there was no no way I was going to find a back glass or anything like that. <laughs> so I, I uh, went down to, uh, bought it, brought it back. I'm like, this would be a perfect retheme because I didn't care for the art much and uh, had, you know, 
three banks of drop targets, a bunch of inserts, and uh, they, they were somewhere and they were cupping. So uh, only problem with big. You know, so I, I ended up uh, retheming that game into a uh, Greyhounds a race home uh, for uh, uh, me and my, my wife both volunteer in the uh, Greyhound Pets of America uh, group. And we have uh, three Greyhounds of our own right now. <laughs> oh, that was your game. I didn't realize that that was your game because I saw that at um, Homebrew, Homebrew Row at Expo. Gosh, it must have been two years ago. Yeah, two years ago I brought that over there. Yeah, because uh, um, Nightmare Markin uh, City's Nightmare Before Christmas was there as well. I think that was the first time that he had brought that like out. That was the first time with art. It was there two or three years prior, but with no art. He decided he, you know, that was the show he first showed it at, and then he put it, you know, back into. Uh, uh, out of the public eye, and he finished it up, and then he brought it out, and that was really, yeah, one of the first shows that he really got to preview it and let people play it, and he was sitting there, oh, he, Mark is a great guy, but he was sitting there nervous the whole time and kind of pacing. He wouldn't walk away from the game. I'm like, let, let, it's going to break. Let it go. You can fix it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I had my I had my first experience, and I talked about this in the last episode, but I had my first experience with seeing, like, a fresh faced homebrew person. I don't know what to call you guys. <laughs> Freak. <laughs> no. Um, and this was at the Louisville arcade expo and he had done a, a steamboat Willie. He basically, I think he based it off of an EM called circus and he did it from the ground up. And this was his first time ever bringing it out in public. I think he had some, he had some kind of an issue with, I think it was a transistor for his, for his flippers. So he, it was interesting seeing someone experience a show for the first time in that capacity where they're like, I'm bringing this game and I'm going to see how it does. And then just kind of, not he didn't lose his mind, but you know, you could tell he was stressed out because it was just like, how do I get this back and running? I'm in, in this busy, busy hall. And um, it was, it was kind of cool to see. It was humbling to see because um, you guys, you guys all work your, your butts off on these projects at home and, and you try and figure out how to make it work and make it better. And it seems like the shows are a really valuable, super valuable thing for you guys uh, as far as like feedback and learning what works and what doesn't work. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. My heart goes out to him. I mean, when I, two years ago, well, this weekend, uh, MGC Midwest gaming classic is when I uh, brought my game out for the first time. Uh, it, it, there's there's two levels of stress. Number one, you you get a lot. Of, it's awesome because it helps you get the confidence and hey, people are actually paying attention and, and seeing this game. And people walk up and like shake your hand, and be like, oh "My gosh, I've been following you, building this for the last six months. This is great to finally see it." And you get a lot of good feedback. You get a lot of people telling you, uh, "Hey, this shot's not working" or things like that. That that's good. I want negative feedback. That's the only way I'm going to get better. But along that time that everybody, first time you bring it out, everybody wants to, to talk to you and, you know, hear the story. And you kind of feel like you repeat yourself a few times, but also it's taking your attention away from the game. So in the back mm -hmm. of your head, when I'm turning around and I'm talking to someone and telling them about my game, I'm like, is my game like just engulfed in flames behind me or not? <laughs> <laughs> 
Like I can feel it getting hot. Yeah, Is it yeah. Broken? I just, I just so like yeah, you know, I gotta I gotta walk away. I gotta I gotta go across the street and have lunch, and I'm 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 gonna turn my phone off. No, I'm not gonna turn my phone off. I'm gonna sit there. I get the food in front of me. Your flipper broke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I I only remember the homebrew experience kind of becoming in my radar around the time that Scott Denisi did TNA and even. Even Keith's game when he did Archer, which is you know now it's Iron Maiden. Um, how much of a how much of a homebrew presence was there at shows before all of that? Um, I I kind of paid attention because I always was interested into it after doing the uh, uh, Greyhounds to Race Home, and yeah. I just at that time I'm like, oh, I was I actually almost bought an Atari game. I was going to make it an Aerosmith um, a retheme, but then I we decided to go with the Greyhounds, but I, I wanted to do it, but the hardware, the knowledge base, the max, the, 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 the world wasn't right. It would be a very difficult road, uphill both ways in snow with no shoes on kind of thing. Where <laughs> I went to Expo 2006, and there was a huge, fast booth. I think it was 2006. Yeah, I, was, uh, I happened to be in town for training for work, and I ended up... Oh, this is overlapping expo. Funny, I picked that week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How finished, convenient! Yeah, it, it happens. I was the first time I ever went to expo, and I finished my training, and I had all my clothes in my car. I didn't even go to the hotel. I just rushed right over there, waited in line for the Thursday night opening, and uh, got to see it. Walked around. Um, it probably was a little later than than uh, 2006, but I remember there was a fast group. There's about four or five homebrew pinball machine nothing flipping yet but they were doing the fast architecture i don't even think anybody had lights they were just kind of showing it off and i asked a ton of questions but the thing is i didn't see any homebrew flipping games really until about the time scott denisi started showing tna maybe a little bit earlier uh than that uh but i wasn't going to a lot of shows i know um doom is a very uh that one was out at that time Texas Pinball Festival, the year that Scott actually started, they started making it for Spooky. There was uh, probably five or six games. But what I believe happened is mechs started becoming available. Um, what like Pinball Life has been doing with you know Scott designing these mechs for Spooky. But uh, the Multimorphic and the P3 Rock, really the, the few years before when he started building his boards and the P Rock, that's uh, one of those things that started building a community and there's people to help you. He actually, uh, Jerry has a uh, online forum that if you're building a game, you reach out to him, he'll let you, let you join. And he doesn't care what hardware you're using, but it's, it's just this great mind meld. You go out there and say, I'm having a problem with this. Even if it's not code, it's going to, there's people to help you. And because of that, and because of seeing Scott's game and Scott, and I say, Hey, I've always kind of wanted to do it first thing Scott says is just do it, do it. Time is right. Do it. That's really when, uh, three years ago was that TNA, uh, was, uh, announced that spooky was going to build it. That was about the time they started collecting parts. You guys are, are a really interesting kind of subsection of the pinball hobby. And I think you're really valuable. And I think that a lot of people have learned a lot of things about how to make pinball better from you guys. It's been really fascinating to see the people who have decided to come out and start building their own machines and, and like rethemes and all of this stuff. 
I guess you can just do it. <laughs> I've been wanting to do it for a while, but it's it's really scary. It's almost like a boutique, uh, boutique uh, a pinball as well. It gives an opportunity to try something and see if it works. I mean, do I think everything in my game is perfect and you know ready to go to production? No. And the same with uh, Keith Elwin's uh, Archer. George helped him uh, tweak it and make it an even better game. And that's one of those things you got to experiment and even experiment with people. Is this guy good at designing a game or, you know, is this guy designing something that's kind of cool and people get to play it and look forward to playing it, which is, which is neat. And that's why I think it's a, yeah, it is a benefit to uh, all of pinball. And we kind of, once you build one, you look at everything differently. <laughs> so uh, when uh, uh, someone's interviewing on a podcast, Lyman Sheets, and he says, oh, what's your one hang-up with games? What's one thing you hate? I stand at attention. Okay, what, what, what is this thing? So I, I take a mental note of everything that someone says. I always try to do this in a game, or I always – I hate when someone does that because that's – give me a little insight into what the pros are doing. Well, uh, let me at least say uh, your other point you said is you can you can do it. You can build one. It's um, – it's the same skills that you use when fixing. It takes a little bit more planning, and if you that's, that's one thing. It's like um, you know, I always say when you're restoring a, a muscle car, you're going to restore it. You're going you're gonna to put the proper seat belts in there. You're going to put the seat in. You're going to get the seat. You need the upholstery. You open up the uh, catalog. You order the, the seat cover. But if you're going to build a hot rod and you're going to take out that four-cylinder engine in a 1938 uh, Chevy and you're going to put in a, a V8, 350 it takes a little bit of planning you can do it if you can fix a car you know same thing with a game if you are looking to build one from scratch it's going to just take planning and you have to realize that uh, the biggest thing people have trouble overcoming is you will not only make one play field you will make a play field you will shoot it it may last for three weeks uh like my buddy uh, matt said i built this the last three weeks and then ended up uh, in here for a year uh, may last a year uh, and you may decide hey we need to change this and get one cut or you know I, i'm a doer so i i didn't see and see my first one i just went in and started took a board cut it to size fit it into the game put the hardware on so it would hang in that cabinet and i started drilling holes and mounting stuff what about overcoming stuff like cad and um just like not having the resources necessarily to to do stuff like this like i mean i don't have a woodworking shop. I don't have, you know, any big tools. What, what would you say to somebody who wants to do it and doesn't necessarily have that kind of access? It's a pretty big challenge, I think. <laughs> it, it's a challenge, but you, you, the first step is figuring out what your challenges are. I, I learned CAD back in high school years ago, but I, I, I couldn't pick it up right now and just start drawing. Um, so I reached out and had friends help me. Uh, and that's something that you happen to know a lot of people and be able to network. And, <laughs> and you say, hey, you know, I want to build this game. I'd like to have two, three, four people helping me with it. Now, it's not going to be full-time for them. So I got a, a friend who I reach out to, and he actually helped me, took my drawing of my play field, because uh, I drew it in pencil. I, I just took a T-square, 30-60-90 triangle, and I, that's, that's how I drew it I was, I was comfortable with. He took mm. that and catted it up, and then we had one CNC cut. So you don't have a woodworking shop. All right. So that means you're going to have to cut your play field, have it catted and CNC'd rather than start drilling. You're still going to need a, a, you know, some minor tools, a drill bit, uh, uh, you know, a, 
a drill, uh, impact drivers, things like that, just to kind of put it together without sure. you know, every screw you can't put in by hand. So I got this little DeWalt impact driver with a quarter inch bit on there. So I just magnetic bit. So I just can zip all my screws in. But uh, really, it's, it's um, the biggest th- natural resource people building their own game run out of is ambition. And um, I would say build a team of people and say, hey, you know, I want to do this. Uh, maybe programming isn't your forte. Uh, and that could be a, a big uh, hurdle for some. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, I would start with the, the biggest hurdles for you. Say, okay, um, I can probably, you, you can get a cabinet. You just call around to, well, your distributor, your work for a distributor, find a distributor that processes warranty cabinets. They may have a warranty cabinet from Stern that you can pick up for a few hundred bucks. So um, I know I talked to a distributor in Illinois that said that they have a full cabinet with the hinges on it and the head and everything. They'd be able to make me a deal to buy another one that, you know, um, that'd be great. Enough stuff to put together a game. Then you just got to glue up the joints and fix why it was warrantied. But now you know like I built mine in an Aerosmith cabinet. So the, the beauty with that is, okay, I need uh playfield hooks. I need a lockdown bar. I need hangers. I need uh, the slides. Huh. I just open up the Aerosmith book and I need that part number and that part number. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to engineer everything. So um, pick your battles. That's sure. kind of would be my, my next thing is, is learn what you want to battle. Can you, make everything like uh, the gentleman who made doom he made all of the scoops he made everything because he's a, a metal fabricator i'm not a metal fabricator he's a fabricator genius i'm just a i'm just a guy playing in my garage <laughs> and, uh, so he made everything and which is awesome and uh that's pick your battle so if you can go buy a scoop from pinball life well buy a scoop you know and bolt it in you're done you know there's going to be issues with that one uh, okay, well, you, you like to scoop in XYZ game from Williams. Start looking out there. Anybody have one of these scoops? Maybe have a bad coil. I can rebuild it at home, you know? So uh, I would say, yeah, start with, with a popular cabinet, like a Stern cabinet, like a warranty once so that you know uh, you can go and open up another Stern to see how everything fit. I would say try to get a group of people to overcome your biggest challenges, which would be you want to design it yourself, but you might need help with CAD or learning CAD is not hard, but with all the other stuff I have to learn, I don't have time for it right now. Uh, sure. Uh, programming. Say, hey, I want to do this. I need, I'm looking for someone to help me with some CAD work from time to time. I'm looking for uh, someone who really wants to be my right-hand person and program it with it. And that might be someone who deserves more of a, you know, like a, a team, make a team effort with that. Uh, like uh, Scott Gullix and um, Frank making uh, Legends of Valhalla. Um, Frank is programming. Scott's the uh, the design builder, so that's that's a great team. Now they both probably talk and make sure they pick the theme and the direction of everything. I wish I would have uh, built more of a team on mine. I would be much further ahead. But uh, it is a uh, part of you know when you go to a show. Did you do all this? Yes, I did, and I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> but you got it done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of a lot of practical advice as far as like baby steps. Just do it one one thing at a time, and and like you said, you know, know your battles, and then and then figure out just troubleshoot, right? Right, and you can get a lot of stuff. Not and it, building a game is not cheap, but everything doesn't have to be brand spanking new. The computer I'm running in mine is an old workstation computer for my wife's work and stuff like that. 
you can get, you can use a laptop screen or just a monitor sitting in the back box until you're ready to actually make it show worthy. Don't have to hmm. buy everything right away. Yeah, no one's going to judge you because you're figuring it out and you're working and that's what homebrew is, right? Right. Do you think that the next, um, the next great pinball designer will come from a homebrew? I actually think that, I think so. If someone can do, go through all the ambition to do everything themselves and uh, also come up with a good design, you got a lot of energy there. Now, um, I think a lot of the homebrew guys are, they're not looking for a career in pinball design. They, they, they want to make, maybe each of us has three or four really good designs in us. And, um, you know, kind of like me, I, I love someone to pick up my game and say, hey, let's, I'm going to bring it back to the, the shop. We're going to have some engineers go through it and we're going to, we're going to fa- do the final tweaks. But yeah, I having my, having your name on a production game is, is, is awesome. But uh, I think a lot of us, you know, the, the, the heart is in really building it and sharing it and having something completely unique and, and, and being part of the community. And it, the, the end goal isn't production. The end goal is going to the shows and being part of that community where uh, I, I could see, the next awesome design coming from homebrew, but I mm-hmm. don't know how many uh, homebrew guys actually see a career in, uh, in design. Right. Because a lot of these guys have already got jobs, right. That are not pinball necessarily pinball related. Right. I mean, we, we got jobs or doing all right with and stuff, but you know, mm-hmm. busting our ass on this hobby and just, you know, to be able to say, Hey, walk down the line of games, say, Hey, I designed that one. Sounds nice, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to actually I was going to ask you about um I was going to ask you about Pinball Mayhem and what you do on that channel because you you mostly stream there, right? That's Jeremy's that's Jeremy's baby, but you you are you guys are a partnership? Jeremy uh and I uh we both we're both in the same group of friends. We we all live within half hour 45 minutes from each other. We for a while, they were getting together every two months at someone's house and having pizza and playing pinball. And so, yeah, we said when we were going to do something like take a trip over to Minneapolis and play games, there's four of us that uh, me, Jeremy, Scott, and Ross, we just uh, all pile in the car and go. And Jeremy liked making just these little videos of like a time lapse of him cleaning all of his <laughs> games. And then I would do a video of, hey, I, I, I have this weird Gottlieb soundboard. I'm bench testing it. Check out how I bench tested it or building my. Uh, uh, my uh, topper for my Ghostbusters game. And I just, uh, I was like two years ago and I said to him, I'm like, me and Jeremy got together. I'm like, you know, why don't we just like post our videos together in a channel, come up with a name for it. And then we could do a video every week or two and, and kind of, kind of be something more than just more people will see what we're doing. We'll be able to reach more people with the, uh, with our tips and tricks. Uh, he, he agreed. And so we were pretty much content wise on there. Sometimes it's 50-50. Jeremy does do a lot more of the videos lately, and uh, he does all the editing because my uh, editing computer died, and he does a better job than I do anyway. So uh, a big old thank you, Jeremy, for for all the editing. Uh, (laughs) And um, the streaming is just um, for quarantine. You know, with all all this is going, I want to try to reach out and give people as much content as they want to absorb. And if I can stream once a week... uh, maybe get some ghost in the shell or just something interesting I'm working on for an hour. Um, probably only get, I'm only getting like seven or eight views, um, kind of experimenting with what platform I want to stream on. Most likely it's going to be YouTube because it's a, uh, I don't need to compete with Twitch. It's just kind of a different platform. And, uh, 
the video goes right into YouTube right away. That's cool. Oh, so this is your first time streaming is, is during this quarantine? Yeah, yeah. I um, I bought all the gear. I actually, uh, two of the cameras I borrowed from friends and uh, the microphone set up. I uh, bought probably a minimum of gear. I have like $150 in stuff I bought and borrowed some stuff and using whatever computer I can get to work. <laughs> There's lots of people that are starting to stream now because of this thing. It's it's kind of uh, It's kind of fun to see. I really like seeing all of the people who are now either they're streaming more than they used to, or they're giving it a shot and they're they're seeing what they can do and and try. And it's funny because people will be like, "Yeah, I'll tune in and just watch someone play pinball for you know forty five minutes or whatever." Um, <laughs> yeah, when this whole thing is over, I'm I'm probably just going to keep streaming for uh, getting for gameplay of my homebrew because uh, I really liked when uh, when I uh, hung out and helped out Jack Danger uh, with his game. We, we um, set up the cameras on Ghost in the Shell one time, and it's just like that's the best footage I have of my game playing. He does a great job setting everything up, having the three cameras on it and everything. That was that was awesome. Yeah, well, he's been doing it for so long that he he knows what's up. Definitely well deserved that that Twippy last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, best streamer, and uh, uh, and he also got uh, homebrew design. <laughs> I had to laugh because uh, of the three videos of homebrew. Um, I was either in the one was taken at uh, uh, Castlevania at uh, Expo last year, and I was actually in the background talking to, to Matt. <laughs> so like, hey, I'm in there. And then uh, the video they used for uh, Jack Danger was uh, him uh, and I uh, wiring his game in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little coverage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm making my mark quietly in the background. Would it be too dark to talk about a um, you know MGC a little bit? So, what were your if if MGC was going to happen, which it did not, and it was canceled as of this weekend? We're speaking right now, basically when uh, we're recording this, when MGC would have ended. It would have been the Sunday that. Um, at this at this time, we would be waiting in line to load up our games. But uh, if we would have talked this morning, we would both. If we were at MGC, both be slightly hungover and talking. So it'd be, it feels about the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very close, very close. Uh, what were your what were your plans going to be for MGC this year? So uh, I was working with Dan and uh, Dan Lucen, one of the um, organizers of the show, him and Gary, and we were we were talking pretty much for the last six months plus about the homebrew area. I I helped arrange the homebrew booth at Chicago Pinball Expo as well, working with Rob. And I said, hey, you know, we need to, I know that there's about four or five guys at least coming to MGC. Let's let's kind of, we, but we're looking for a special area. We want to bring focus to our group and be able to have people easier to find us. And Dan said, if I can get a decent number, number uh, a decent amount of uh, people committed, definitely we'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to get something going and have it have a spot. So this year, uh, the plan was, I think I had about 12 people, custom games or homebrew games. In a custom game, I, I really consider like a retheme. A homebrew would be something that's straight ground up. So you don't start with anything, you're not retheming it. A retheme, can, you can change a few shots, but we had a recoded game. We had a lot of cool projects that was uh, going to be there. And we were going to have our own area kind of like separated out so people can find us. And it was just was going to be, it's also a great having our own area because all of us homebrew guys can just hang out just like at Expo and just talk and trade stories. I mean, I became such good friends with uh, uh, Matt Benzik because of, you know, Expo. 
And <laughs> I think I met him for the first time at MGC last year or the year before. Either way, he kept hanging around the games and talking. He's, of course, a master photobomber like you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a craft, just like homebrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we can't be good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, we, we, we're look, looking forward to having our own little area bigger area and, and really showcasing to people what we have and able to just sit there and, you know, by the, by this time, if it was at the show, I'd be hoarse and probably couldn't talk because I'd be talking nonstop over the noise all day. You know, one of those where it happened at Expo. I set my game up. I turn around. I talk to somebody. I walk five feet. I talk to somebody. I walk five more feet. I talk to somebody. <laughs> walk another five feet. Talk to somebody. Realize I turned, made a whole circle. I'm standing in front of my game now. And um, it's two o'clock and I forgot to eat lunch. <laughs> Sounds like fun to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's great really seeing that level of, of interest and people excited about it. And, uh, you know, people say, Hey, I've been playing this at every show you brought it to and just giving me more feedback. Yeah. MGC was going to be one of those events where it's just, you know, all of us hanging together and having beers at the after party and just uh, having this this big area. But, you know, we could say it here because we talked to Dan last night and yeah. we're going to do it again. We're going we're to do it next year. We're going to have a big homebrew area, a nice big uh, display, something to, and, you know, with everybody in isolation right now, it's going to be even bigger. That's good. What about Expo? Have big plans for Expo too? Yes, yes. I uh, already chatted with Rob uh, once, and um, we're going to do uh, something. We're going to be even bigger. Actually, at last year Expo, about three or four people came up to me and said, I'm working on a game. It's going to be at Expo. First time you're going to see it. That's exciting. I, I said, hey, reach out to me. Um, I kind of have a, a running list of everyone that's committed to any show. I'll email them about two months beforehand and say, hey, who's going to the show? You know, and we kind of coordinate. So not everybody needs to bring every single tool. Who, who's going to have what? Get the space set up. But yeah, Rob wants to do, I'm going to let him announce his 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 plan, but he wants to do a, a bigger area, some events that people can uh, come and uh, be able to be more front and center. They want to come and view our games. Of course, last year Expo, we had a lot of good coverage. You know, you listen to the podcast and the media, and a lot of people taking pictures and talking about what the new game was or just a, uh, the whole setup that we had. I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. I, I can't wait for the next show. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but it was definitely kind of a, a disappointing thing to miss, to miss both TPF and MGC, but it needed to happen, I guess. And like you said, you know, maybe people will, because they're inside now, they're going to be working on projects even more, a lot more focus and a lot more time. Yeah. Yeah. One of those things, if um, I watch the entire Star Trek next generation, while working on a, a standalone <laughs> complex. A ghost in the Shell. I um, that's not a show that you need to be your eyeballs on it all the time. So I would just pull it up on uh, Amazon Prime and I would put an episode on. And I'd be working on it, and I, I do also like watching the pinball streamers. But sometimes it can be a little bit too distracting, so I have to turn it off and just kind of just put some movie I've watched a hundred times in the background and just focus on wiring or getting your your numbers straight or just drilling holes and grinding and. Uh, before you know it, uh, a month's gone by and you've got a game that's flipping and all that time you're working on that game weren't thinking about anything else, which is just, just nice. That sounds good. Maybe I should take it up. <laughs> well, there's uh, plenty of videos and streams and uh, information out there and uh, I plan on 
uh, now that I got the streaming gear, doing a, when I'm working on my game, doing some more builds. Also helping a, a friend out with another game that uh, was going to show up at MGC this year, but you know, yeah, it'll show up at the next show. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll let the cat out of the bag of that one uh, when it gets a little sooner or a little closer. Cool. All right. That's, that's awesome, Ed. Um, thanks for coming and talking to me. Uh, did you want to plug anything, the websites or the YouTube channel? Just uh, uh, if you would like to follow along with Ghost in the Shell, please uh, follow Pinball Mayhem on YouTube. Uh, like and uh, subscribe for that. Then you'll be able to see when a new uh, uh, I post uh, updates. Sometimes it's every month. Sometimes it's a few months between. Uh, probably going to make a video here pretty soon with uh, the changes. So uh, that's one good way to follow the uh, progress of my homebrew. And uh, I also take suggestions. So if you say, hey, I'm, I'm building a homebrew. How do you do X, Y, Z? Post a comment in the uh, in one of the videos. And uh, the, the most recent one would be best uh, for my homebrew. And say, hey, you know, want, want a video doing this? I can do it. And uh, Pinball Mayhem is also, uh, that's where you're going to find me. So I have people try to send me direct friend requests, but anything pinball related, I'm posting on Pinball Mayhem on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and uh, on YouTube. If you uh, want to reach out, you're working on a homebrew and you want to uh, get in on the booth, uh, definitely, uh, if this is the first you're hearing about uh, any of the networking, shoot me an email at uh, pinballmayhem at gmail.com. I, uh, I'll get that and I'll be able to, I'll put you on the list and I'll, uh, correspond with you and everybody else when it's time uh, time to get going there it is my interview with ed owens a homebrew extraordinaire and new friend you can find him on youtube at pinball mayhem and on facebook as well if you want to learn any kind of homebrew stuff or some technical stuff some odds and ends him and jeremy will be there to guide you a little bit um, this interview was a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to do more in the future, and I really like the idea of talking to pinheads about stuff that they like other than pinball, the sort of intersection of pinball and other hobbies like cars and art and food and stuff. So if you have a weird hobby that you like that's outside of pinball and you want to share it with me, give me a call. Maybe we can have a little chat. Um, so yeah, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in and listening and for your patience as I learned the wonderful skills of editing and making sure that my sound is good and making sure that no one is texting me when I'm recording an episode. Um, <laughs> so where can you find me? You can find me on Instagram. It's the plum pinball. You can shoot me an email. It is the plum pinball podcast at gmail.com or the pinball network. You can also email them if you want. I am a part of them. Oh God, that's weird and creepy, but their email address is the pinball network at gmail.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter. It's a uh, plum underscore the. So hit me up on all the social medias. And um, that's it. I hope that you stay safe and you wash your hands and you stay inside and you play some pinball when you can and tell the people that you love that you love them. Till next time. Bye bye. Bells will be ringing. The sad, sad news. Oh, what a Christmas. me greeting